understand I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Good morning, welcome to Second Captain Saturday and I hate to do this to you so early on a Saturday morning but I need you to imagine yourself in an extremely awkward social situation. This goes for you too, Murph and Ken, you guys ready? Okay, yeah, go for it on, why not? Ken, you ready? Go for it on. It's a situation we've all been in at some point. You're out and about, minding your own business, when suddenly a friendly face stops you in your tracks. This person shakes your hand, launches into conversation, how you keep and long time mm. no see, you know the usual. Throws in some biographical detail exactly. which showcases exactly how much they know about you. The only problem, Murph, you don't know anything about them. You don't have a clue who you're talking to. You recognise the face, your Facebook friends, you think, but you just can't place them in real life. Now the fear is rising within you. You're getting flustered. You feel yourself blushing. You know they notice you blushing. It's a hellish situation all around, right? Mm. Now imagine going through that on national television in front of a studio audience three times in a night and repeating the madness for weeks on end. That, my friends, is what Tommy Tiernan has been doing out of his own volition (laughs) for his wonderful TV programme in recent times. If you haven't seen it, check it out. He's no idea who his guest is going to be until they emerge on set. Sometimes they're massive celebrities. Other times they aren't. And he has to work out who they are in the course of the conversation. What's your name and what do you do? I mean, I have these awkward situations all the time, it seems. I, I I find myself saying hello to waiters that I know from restaurants, like greeting them like old long lost friends and the only, as I'm saying hello, <laughs> realise. So, so you've had it the other way around. You've started to yeah, launch I've a conversation Yeah, I've been the person that they're trying to figure out and then it's going. like, actually, wait, no, that guy. No. You've just I, misrecognised yeah. somebody. Yeah, my, my dad has a very good solution for this. My dad is like heavily involved with uh, our local GA club. So there are obviously loads of other faces and uh, faces of uh, people he recognises from other GA clubs. So he just, he might not know the face, but he would know the GA club. So he just kind of walks down the street and Jim goes, oh, how are they all in Mount Belia? <laughs> no clue who the person he is he's, he's talking to. But he's offered up enough biographical detail <laughs> to make it seem, maybe the person doesn't even notice that he hasn't actually said their name. What would you do in this awkward situation, Ken? I don't mean on national television, I mean in real life. Would you brazen it out? I, I kind of picture you being ballsy enough to say, look, sorry. No, I, I, would, never sure. do, I would never do that. Um, <laughs> the, but I have long term made the change that I never say nice to meet you ever. <laughs> I only ever say yeah. people get good very to annoyed see you. when, yes, yes. Now, yeah, I don't yeah. think that's really fooling anybody. I mean, when somebody says good to see you, is that like, does that sound natural? <laughs> I'm not sure, but I only ever say see, never meet, in order to rule out the possibility that I have actually you know that, that way? person. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's smart. That well, this not dynamic, as far as my dad's idea, but that's still pretty good. This dynamic on national TV is riveting stuff. It's one of many things we'll be talking about with the great Tommy Tiernan this morning. Tommy has serious game when it comes to the sporting arena. Big Liverpool fan, follows Galway and Meath in GAA, has been known to boot a ball around himself with no little grace. If you have had the privilege, by the way, of sharing a pitch with Tommy Tiernan, do, do please text in, tweet mm. us, share your experience, especially any old Simonstown or school teammates. Back in the good old days in Mead, we'll get to some of your stories throughout the show. He's certainly a live contender to become the second captain's greatest non-sports person, sports person. Murph, latest leaderboard, please. I could have been a contender. I could, I could have been somebody. 
Knoxville, my decision to take 10 points from Ashing B last week because her chosen sport of wrestling isn't actually a sport still divides opinion across the nation. She's our current leader on 78 points. David Badil is the very definition of mid-table mediocrity on 75 points with Paul Howard in relegation trouble on 72. Let's see if Tommy can crack that magical 80-point ceiling this morning. By the way, if you were listening last week, Ashing mentioned how much she loved Mary Kingston, the presenter of The Works on RT television when she was a kid and always dreamed of going to a tennis ball making factory or something like, something like that. <laughs> well, Mary was actually listening in <laughs> last Saturday morning and she got in touch on Twitter at Second Captains to say if we and Ashton still want to go to the factory, the tennis ball making factory, <laughs> she can still make it happen. That part of Open Doors is still there, clearly. Uh, well, I, for one, am in all the way, Mary Kingston. Lucy has texted in, the Ruby Wax interview with Tommy was incredibly tough to watch, but I kind of loved the awkwardness. Also, love, love, love Tommy on Dairy Girls. Yeah, Lucy, that Ruby Wax interview is one we're definitely going to get into with Tommy Tiernan. If you're looking for us on Twitter, it's at Second Captains. 51551 is the number to text. Let's get into a little bit of music first, and then Tommy Tiernan will be ready to go on Second Captain Saturday. there with When We Were Young to get you going this Saturday morning. Now today's guest on Second Captain Saturday has achieved the holy trinity in Irish sporting life. He withstood the Roy Keane deaths there on one occasion, played up front with John Aldridge in a Liverpool Legends team and the ultimate honour, he was taught geography in school by the great Colm O'Rourke. Tommy Tiernan, you're very welcome to the show. You thought I was nothing but a lug. Get out Tiernan, you lug. You're a waste of space. <laughs> Did he wear the knee bandage while teaching? Wore everything. Uh, <laughs> socks, boots, everything. It was great. That was, I mean, I've often wondered how come the Meath, if such a uh, team gets established in a county, and uh, um, why can't you maintain it? Why can't you maintain that standard, a standard of football? You know, I know the Meath, am I right in thinking the Meath minor team just won Leinster last week? Uh, yeah. yeah, they beat yeah. Dublin along the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so, um, and I know when Cullum was in charge of the St. Pat's school team, they won a couple of All-Irelands. So when I was following them back then, Stafford, Brian O'Connell, Liam Hayes was like Adonis, like he was almost good looking. And <laughs> <laughs> for me, like, for me, like yeah. within, within the bounds of his own parish, he was a legend. Uh, and then for suddenly to uh, disappear, really, yeah. and the state that Mead football is in now, uh, even though it's, it's probably not for the want of effort. Um, and I know from talking to the Galway Hurling team, and uh, please God, to be at the match uh, this afternoon, is uh, one thing that they're blessed with right now is size. At Galway Hurlers right now, they're big men, you they're know. monsters. Yeah, you know, so uh, you can't, that kind of thing happens out of luck, maybe, Good fortune. Uh, but I'd be very curious about what happened to the Meath team. Like, so growing up in Meath at that time, were they basically the exemplar of how to be a man in Meath? Like, were they like oh, the yeah. beginning and end of mascu- yeah, masculinity? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, if you think of the men involved, the Lions brothers, like, you know, they were like, 
they were kind of agricultural, brutal. Again, no more than Liam Hayes on the verge of mm. being physically attractive. Mm. Uh, <laughs> in a certain light, you know, <laughs> if the sunlight off the Cusick stand hit them in a certain way, then yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know if that made any difference to their lives, but um, it was, it, it seemed, and I suppose the football back then was, it was a tougher game as well, wasn't it? Mm. Oh yeah, it like was, it seemed a bit more, even though the collisions now. There's something slightly orchestrated about them. There's something, even though the hits are going in, and I'm sure they're hard, they're just, they're educated hits. Mm. Whereas back then, it was like fellas from the tech. It's almost <laughs> as if they had some sort of, you know, they have some sort of respect for their physical well-being now. Whereas back then, it was kind of... Well, it just seems like a lot of pretty boys, well-built, hunky pretty boys, mm. kind of running into each other. Mind, and they've hairstyles now, Tommy. The hair. game's gone, you know. Like. But back then, it was just like fellas who looked like, looked like they'd been called off the farm at dawn and had to go back to it when the match was finished. And I remember I played for Simonstown Back in them days, you'd go to a match and the pitch could be covered in cowpats. You know, there was it was much more agricultural back then, I think, you know. The Tommy Tierney Show. I've got to say I'm a massive fan. Thank you very much. Thank I, you. I think part of the reason is it would be my idea of hell. <laughs> uh, just that absolute lack of comfort, not having a clue who's coming out. Mm. Often trying to work out who this person is as you're having the conversation. What is the appeal of it to you? What do you get out of this programme? Um... I kept thinking in terms of uh, stand-up. So you get a stand-up routine together and you know it and you kind of, you do it night after night and there are small changes and you're always trying to push it forward but uh, it's essentially the same and you might work the same show for 18 months maybe. Um, so what you're doing in a way is you're repeating something that you once thought of. You still have to perform it to new people but it's kind of an act of repetition so it is more in common with the theatre. I loved David Letterman and I thought the way he was able to be off the cuff funny uh, with guests was the sign of a true comedian. Um, and the fact that he was doing it in front of such a large audience as well meant that his jokes weren't wasted, his talent wasn't hidden. Um, and I just I just got the idea one night for the show and I thought that I, I'm often able to be funny in an interview situation. I thought, wouldn't it be great that that that, that becomes your, the arena you play with then, as opposed to the kind of the actory repetition. There's a great quote I read one time which says, uh, a comedian is an actor pretending to be a comedian. <laughs> um, and I thought that maybe the chat show format would be a better way of playing with that, you know. Um, and so I got the idea and, and do- things happened very quickly for me with that I suggested the idea to Dan Healy and 2FM that we do four live ones during the summer he said yep and then we went from that to TV and it all happened quite smartly and rapidly so um, and I wanted to quit it actually after the pilot I said to the producer David Parr I'm not doing this anymore it's too stressful I just, I just it's not what I thought it was going to be and uh, I'm, I'm done with it and he took me for a slice of pecan pie in the gourmet tart in Salt Hill in Galway. It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice plug. Well known restorative and, quality. And by the end of it, I said, OK. What a, what a slice of pie. Yeah, that I'd, that I'd do it again. Um, How did he talk you around? He just, I guess I just told him I thought it was awful. And I, I didn't think that it worked. And he was saying, look, it, it did. Um, and... I I came round to his point of view, I suppose, and I said, "Yeah, okay, I'll try it again," and we did. So 
that's what it was. It's, it's, it's very stressful because you can't prepare. Yeah. And um, so it's, it's the decision to put yourself through that, to say, you know, and the worry that you won't have anything to say. Are you talking about, is, does that stress hit you when you wake up that morning, early in the day, or are you talking about literally that moment when the next guest is about to be introduced? Is it, is it that, is there something in the pit of your stomach there? No, it actually, it happens months before the show begins. So I knew last year that we were going to be recording in, I think it was January. I, I started getting anxious around September. And I was just, I just, you know, and uh, so I'm, maybe I'm getting better at this time. But it, again, you'd wonder, you know, in terms of a sporting analogy, yep. if you lose that kind of nervousness, are you screwed? Um, but the nervousness is real and it does have an effect. And uh, But you'd also wonder if maybe that's the price you have to pay. If you're totally calm and totally comfortable, maybe you, you'd be, you wouldn't bring the right energy to it. You know, I, I don't have a decision with the anxiety. It's there. So, mm. but maybe, you know, you kind of try and square things off in your imagination, kind of go, well, maybe it's supposed to be, maybe, it, you know. What about when it goes wrong or at least it goes in a different direction to, to how you might like it to go. I'm thinking maybe the Ruby Wax interview yeah. would be the most the most famous one. She, she tried to explain her, I guess it was a psychology book to mm. you. She felt that your responses to her were somewhat insulting, that you were dismissing her work essentially. Yeah. It, it got kind of awkward. Yeah. It, was, it was quite compelling, but difficult to watch in a lot of ways. Were, were you panicking there as she was getting no, because, kind of upset? Uh, no, because part of me knew that it was probably good TV. Mm. Surely it's hard to be that philosophical about it as you're in the middle of this thing. Well, I would trust my intention. And my intention was always to give, is always to give the other person a fair hearing and a... Uh, and honest in the sense that there's no, I don't have any duplicitous, help me out, du duplicitous? duplicitous motives. Uh, so I trusted that. And with those intentions, if it still goes wrong, then it goes wrong. But you're, and, but you're also aware, it's, I, this is, might be interesting to watch. The guest doesn't know that though. The guest doesn't know you necessarily. Well, no. certainly an international guest might know you that no, well. No. So she doesn't know, in the case of Ruby Wax, that oh, this guy is actually... He's not doing this out of malice. And there's great, I mean, wherever bravery and it's such, it's in context, it's, you know, it's not raising family of 12 in Belmullet or, <laughs> <laughs> or going, going over the, the, the top of the FAI training camp. It's, uh, it's bravery in context. So in the context of, enter of entertainment, it, people have used the word bravery. Uh, but it's also very brave in that context for the guest. You know, so they're coming on uh, vulnerable as well. They're choosing this. A couple of the guests have come on and said, I'm really nervous, you know. So if, uh, even though Ruby mightn't have known my intention, I think she could, she, you make a decision either to trust this experience or not. And I, that, that interview even, wouldn't even strike me as particularly memorable for me. Right. For the series. So that was just an interview. It happened. Myself and Ruby had our moment together. Uh, it was fine. Really, it was fine. Um, and on to the next one. Then. What are the memorable ones for you? What's the most memorable chat you've had? Um, I remember moments, I think. Uh, I remember Martin Hayes. Martin Hayes said this great thing to me. 
uh, afterwards and the interview went beautifully and he played the fiddle, you know, and I was talking to the green room afterwards and I said, he looked kind of unhappy and I said, what's wrong? And he said, that, 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 that wasn't great. And I said, why not? And he said, ah, I need people to know that I'm also a bit of a bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> so the moments like that that you take away from it, um, but I guess there was no real, no real kind of peak moments for me, really. The whole thing was enjoyable. You've been doing uh, a lot of acting lately. You've got this TV show. Has all of that changed the way people look at you in any way over the last couple of years? I've gotten a lot now, much more than I've had. A lot more kind of old women follow me around. <laughs> I'm a big hit with... <laughs> With the Grey Brigade, <laughs> totally. Because of the TV show? I think because of the TV right. show. Uh, and it's always prefaced by the line, well, I used not to like you. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of that going on at the moment. So that's the only noticeable change. <laughs> I find it very interesting, though, because Owen says Dirk as kind of like you're uh, branching out in these different areas. But actually what you said earlier about the TV show being an extension of the comedic experience is very interesting to me, that instead of it being well, comedy is one thing, I'm going to do this totally different thing. Yeah. It's actually all comes from the same place for you. Kind of, the worry I'd have with, with having different interests is I was very aware maybe 10 or 15 years ago that uh, the m more outside interests and influences I could bring to the stand-up, the better the stand-up would be. So I'd have an interest in theatre, I'd have an interest in journalism, I'd have an interest in performance art, I'd, all these, I'd have a big interest in music and jazz and all that type of stuff. And instead of a big interest in writing and instead of bringing, trying to say, well, I'll do a bit of acting and, and to do those as separate projects, if you can bring them all into the stand up, then the stand up becomes full of you. And because sometimes stand, stand up can become very homogenized and it can become quite, if you see a lot of stand ups, like if you go to the Edinburgh Festival and go to see two, three shows a day for a week, you get it. You just you see the rhythms, you see the patterns, and you, so uh, and that they could be guys who are have outside projects, but each project is kept separate. So I've always thought that the way to like I love Beckett, right? So is there a way you could? I love Billy Connolly. I, you know, are there ways of bringing all that weirdness into the one show, your show? Um, so. That would be my worry at the moment uh, in terms that maybe the, is the stand-up getting a bit diluted because there are other things going on or... And these are, you know, these are all very self-involved uh, and you're just really uh, providing uh, not an untrustworthy platform for me to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are asking about your career, so don't, you know, you're, yeah, you're not being self We're I'm, indulging I'm, you, if anything. Yeah, but I should have the guts to say, let's talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's, that, that, that'd be my concerns, you know. You're a Liverpool fan. Oh, yeah. Have you recovered from the Carrius meltdown in the Champions League final? Poor fella's been getting a lot yeah, of Yeah, but I, I had suspicions about him uh, from the beginning of the, the calendar year. He struck me as a fella who was trying to appear to be confident. So someone said to him, you, as if confidence was something you could act, be confident. You can't do that. You either are confident or you're not. Um, he would have been better off, I think, uh, declaring his, his fright and just being like, 
a wild, angry lunatic of a goalkeeper. Okay. Yeah. But at least it would have been coming from somewhere honest. So he was trying to appear cool. As opposed to trying to be the sort of Iceman figure. Yeah. And, it, and what that does is that affects your judgment because you're, you, you slow things down too much. And many times did he get the ball during the league to his feet and he just delayed that pass out to one of the fullbacks. Delayed it because he's trying to be cool. And he's laid it too, so that the opposition were able to close down the defence. And I didn't, now, in fairness, 100% proof of concussion is the word out of Anfield. So, <laughs> and we've got to trust the Kaiser. We've got to trust him. If Big Klopp says, lads, get in the boat, this is the direction we're rowing in, then give me the oar. I'm with, I'm with Jörg. As a performer, though, do you, do you feel sympathy any more sympathy than anyone else might for somebody who has such a public humiliation like that. This was epic. For people who don't follow closely, he made two mistakes in last year's Champions League final, either of which would have been a career definer. Yeah. He managed to make two of them in the same. He almost turned into an art form. Yeah, it was incredible. It's like, but like yeah, we were talking about jazz goalkeeping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to think of it like a performance art, a performance in any realm that could get more humiliating than what well, Harry's went through. We wouldn't be surprised if Charles Sachi. Uh, bought him <laughs> and put him in the Tate Modern <laughs> and it was a you know, goal, yeah. goalkeeping as a mistakes he's a Beckett goalkeeper it's kind of <laughs> there's no success like failure um, yeah I, I uh, and it was a curious thing to me as, as well is this thing of crying I'm sh- sure you may have talked mm, about are before, you against but, it? what? are you against crying? I just don't I I wonder what the source of it is. So this is this would be my question. Uh, the great Liverpool teams of the 70s and 80s lost important matches and they never wept. Um, and I think that possibly, and this is a question, it's not, I wouldn't know for sure, but it's a, it's a question. Um, if you, if people are living in, with a feeling of entitlement, as opposed to the group ethic. Now, I'm not saying that if we don't have the group ethic, I trust Klopp to say that it is fairly bone deep in the place. But your sen- if your sense of entitlement uh, has been somehow spoilt because you lose, and then you, and that's what produces the tears, then I then I'd question it, and then I'd I'd say, well, why why are you why is this happening? Mm. You know. Um, Plus the fact that Carius wept tearlessly, mm. which is the great curiosity to me. There was all the facials, uh, but none of the water. <laughs> I've heard you talking in the last couple of years about almost trying to wean yourself off your obsession somewhat. Mm. Just not getting too caught up in it's the hurt so much. 24 Jesus. hour obsession with Liverpool. We were at Have the Chelsea you been game and in? Stevie G fell over and Jesus Christ, I swear to God, as a postman in Galway said to me, it's bad time, it's bad this time, Tom. It is bad this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, the male ability to project all meaning of their life onto a football team. Yeah. So I tried to wean myself off for sure. Have you been successful in that? No, process? I haven't. And that's because we all believe in Jürgen. <laughs> uh, I do now. I do feel as if something interesting is happening with Liverpool, and I hope it's not a big corporate lie and a hoodwink of huge commercial proportions. But I am um, very taken by Jurgen and his attitude, and there's something about him that says, "Trust me." 
It's Jürgen kind of says it's okay to love us again, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> and you're falling for a hook, line, and sinker. Totally, totally. The big news in the sports world this week is the. I was about to say the retirement. He's, he's not retired from broadcasting, but Eamon Dunphy, after 40 years on the RT panel, has decided to leave. Have, have you been a fan? Were you a fan of He was Dunphy? great. Yeah, yeah wasn't he? He's just caused drama. That's all you want, really. You know, you'd be attracted to stuff that, even though it's about sport, can still create drama. So Eamon Sweeney's wrote a great few pieces recently about McGregor and England and stuff like that. And you mightn't agree with it, but it's drama mm. and it's good writing. So Eamon was the same broadcasting. You mightn't agree with him, but it was just crack, like, you know, and he was articulate uh, and full of guff. So that, that's as much as you can hope for, really. The best TV pundit you've ever seen, again, is how you phrase it during the week. I mean, I remember seeing him one time. Uh, he, I, I was not a fly on the wall. Like, a, I was a kind of a awkward man standing there <laughs> adjacent to this uh, conversation and this chance meeting between uh, Eamon Dunphy and Shane Horgan in the corridor in, in RTE. When um, Dunphy uh, said, "Oh, Shane, you know, uh, love love your work, you know, love your work, but where's the controversy?" <laughs> <laughs> this was like his whole uh, his whole thing was that the, the entire point of what we're doing here is to sort of whip people up emotionally, rather than I mean, the, a lot of people seem to have the <laughs> seem to have the idea that it's got something to do with analysing the game. Yeah, but th- but that gets trite after a while. And one of my problems with Ivan Yates on the hard word or the hard shoulder, whatever it's called, it seems to be contentious for the sake of being contentious. And it that rings hollow and you can see to that as a tactic, mm. you know, and you just, you tire of it. It becomes, uh, it's brittle for the soul. Whereas Dumphy's thing, a lot of the time, seemed to be fueled by genuine. He was coming from someplace uh, that even though it created drama and controversy, that didn't seem to be the reason for it in its delivery. And that's why I think it was attractive. Even though his viewpoints would change, he might come from a certain place on a topic, get everyone going, and that would then change to be inconsistencies. That's not a problem. Sure, but in the moment, he, he believed it himself, <laughs> which is as much as any of us can. That's as honest as he could get. <laughs> you know, the idea to be totally unbound by what you conviction. said last week. Yeah. It's interesting how uh, his parting shot was that Orte is a very different place now. He said it's a place that lives in fear of keyboard warriors on Twitter or Facebook. And he also calls social media a vicious, ignorant, dark world. Yeah. Do you see where he's coming from there? Y- you do, but if you pay no attention to it, then it doesn't really affect you. So when it started to blossom, the whole social media thing, we were all consumed by it. It became an arena for all of us to judge and be judged and be creative with, you know. Uh, But you find that, especially if you're doing stuff that's in the public eye, if you don't pay any attention to it, what happens there is irrelevant. And even though you might be surrounded people who get themselves in a, a a a flurry and fluxed because of what somebody said online. If you pay no attention to it. How do you do that, though? How do you avoid paying attention? Isn't there a button <laughs> you can press that just says, leave me alone? Isn't there? On your phone? Well, yeah. Do I ever press it? Does anyone ever press that button? I've pressed it, totally. And you just go... Now, obviously, again, it's like um, Al Pacino in The Godfather and he's in the kitchen and he says, every time you try and leave, they just drag you back. Like, uh, So there's an element of that. Every now and again, you do kind of just... Google yourself and to see how you're being judged by the dark warriors. Uh, but more or less, I kind of stay well away from it. It was very different for Dunphy 20 years ago. Mm. Himself and John Giles' voices were fairly preeminent in Irish football and sort of in Irish life in a lot of ways. But do you think that kind of changes 
has changed over the last 10, well, 20 years. I think, years. yeah, like there, there used to be sort of a lot of power in having access to media. Like if you were talking on The Late Late Show or, you know, doing the analysis on RTE or whatever, you were the only person who kind of got to speak. Yeah. You know, now the audience can shout back. Like now the entire country is like one big heckling audience. I, I suppose there is a hierarchy, though, as well to, uh, to talent. There's a kind of, there's a natural py pyramid shape to quality, I think. Uh, so th everybody's speaking all the time. I think that that's actually less entertaining than um, there being fewer people at the top speaking. All right, Tommy, I'll stop you there because you're going to need a little bit of a break before facing the rigours of part two of this conversation. You're listening to Second Captain Saturday. Coming right up, we're going to dissect this sporting life of Tommy Tiernan. Second captain, first captain, whatever. The legend, Tommy Tiernan, is our guest on Second Captain Saturday this morning. Hope you've been enjoying the chat so far. Don't forget to text in 51551. You can tweet at Second Captains. We'll get to some of those a little bit later on. We have alluded, Tommy, to your own sporting pedigree before the break. You famously played for a Liverpool Legends team, which we will get to. But what sports did you play growing up? Uh, I played a lot of tennis. tennis? And I played a lot of uh, football. Gaelic football? Gaelic or? and soccer. Okay. Uh, and then around the age of 12 or 13, uh, apart from school soccer, I played nothing but pool. <laughs> uh, I was one of the best underage pool players coming out of Simon's Bar <laughs> and the Roundo. <laughs> Do they still talk about you in the Roundo? The, uh, I haven't been back in a long time, but I, I still have dreams about it. Yeah. Um, so back then, a game, I was part of the generation that saw the transition from 10 pence a game to 20 pence a game. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was... I mean, just like <laughs> crazy times, you know? You know, uh, and a, a, a transition that in a lot of social uh, commentary is ignored. <laughs> You're bringing it back, though. <laughs> these were big moments in Navin. They, they, overnight, all the slots were changed. <laughs> um, you were given no choice. You came in the following day. That's it. Two tens don't do. You can take it or you can leave it, boys. <laughs> um, so... I used to rob money at my mother's purse and I'd go down to the bar. I'd try and play after school if I could. Um, I once played on the round O men's team uh, when I was about 15. And the standard of uh, Pool and Navin was high. There was a, uh, the Rocker came from there, one of the legendary uh, North Leinster Pool players. Uh, Maltese Joe Barbara, the world pool champion, came to Navin uh, and I played him in an exhibition match. What? Yeah, Maltese Joe Barbara. He was world, it was, this is the English, it's not the American one where it's all kind of Filipinos and Germans. Uh, it, it, this was proper pub pool, you know. And he came and he was playing a fella, playing a fella from Navin for 10 grand back in 84. So 10 grand in 1984. Uh, and as part of his kind of visit to the town, he gave an exhibition match and I gave him a game. How'd you get on? Oh, he let me win, like. I played one amazing shot. <laughs> well, he did. He let me win. So pool was my thing, really. Uh, apart from, I think stand up has a lot in common with sport. That it was a, it's performance based. You're only as good as your last game. Uh, success in the previous one doesn't guarantee success in the next one. You get into rhythms. You get, might get three months where everything's going grand, and three months where it's it's hard. 
so I, I think that sporting, uh, they, they say one of these daft out quotes that come out every now and again, if you can do as an adult what you did as a child, you're, you're, it's a good chance of being happy at your work. So I, I think what, I, what I'm doing now professionally it's kind of it's quite similar to the kind of stuff I was interested in. How are the Gaelic football skills? Mine wouldn't be... I played a game recently uh, for Barna. We live in Barna now. Fantastic club. Mainly... Fo- There's Hurling as well. Uh, I love the GAA in a, in a way that the soccer doesn't seem to do. Even though the Barna United team are fantastic as well. There seems to be a bit more interaction between the parents. It's probably because the soccer's played during the winter, actually. And so you just get the kids out of the car, <laughs> just let them run off in the rain. <laughs> but during the summer, we're all all the parents at the side of the pitch. And the Barna uh, GA club is fantastic. So they had a a palethon the other day, and I played in a match, and I got them. I got hit hard. Like <laughs> I've been going to the gym a lot recently and running, so I was looking forward to it. You know, I thought, okay, this would be a good chance now because there's a lot. You can run a lot in Gaelic without actually any without any contact. <laughs> just. <laughs> <laughs> just run into the space with or without the ball <laughs> and uh, I was playing against men who some of them were probably county players uh, from back in the early 90s maybe and I got a clatter but the ball kind of bounced there was a kind of a telepathic message sent between me and this older gentleman of it's on <laughs> so we just clattered into each other he came up to me afterwards like, and I obviously come out the worst he came up to me afterwards and said I enjoyed that <laughs> and I'm still sore I'm still all the way down and it was a month ago Ugh. and I'm still in pain down here and I told this to a friend of mine and she said oh so that happened to Mike Flynn he died a kidney failure <laughs> do they still have the pitch with the hill at Barna I played on a pitch for Milltown against Barna I'm going to say probably 10 years ago yeah and there was a pitch was perfectly level and then the line between the 21 yard line and the 14 yard line was like you know the lines on an ordnance survey map practice slopes yeah they, they basically it was straight up it was a straight hill yeah. for about 7 yards it plateaued for another bit and then it kind of swept away from the goalpost to the right hand corner yeah. I'm hoping that they've done no, something that was like the, uh, that was actually the, the end of the pitch was the pitch and puck course <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what the windmill was doing <laughs> there. Yeah, yeah. The pitch and barn has now been levelled. Ah, right. And that's I, a pity. And there's an invitation in the post <laughs> <laughs> to come back down. So that's, I think that's due to open sometime in the next 12 months. So they've done, they've done great work on that pitch. Did you have any inspirational mentors or coaches or figures in your sporting life growing up? There was an old fella who used to play pool, a guy called Billy in the Rando. Uh, what were his inspirational qualities? He, he was just sitting saying and it was just his manner. He was just calm and relaxed and mm. he played pool with a hat. The ultimate. <laughs> the ultimate in debonair style, you know. You said you, you've gotten into running. Is that a recent phenomenon? Uh, yeah, try to run three or four times a week. And I'm, uh, running on tour is... Uh, I'm prone to coffee shops and, and buying books all the time when I'm on the road. Um, but I find if I bring my running gear... Like I, I ran in Swindon. You know, there's nothing, but I remember the run because I just, it was, I did about seven or eight miles and it was just out, I asked the girl at reception, I want, do I go left or right? And she just said, sure, head off that way. <laughs> and I, I've ran around, around down by St. Mary's in Southampton, down around the docks. You see the town? And it's fantastic. It's kind of, even though you might be running in the ugliest, I ran around, I've run around, run around so many industrial estates 
around a big, huge, ugly place in Helsinki. But it's just the fact that you're out. You know, I've did 10 miles around Amsterdam, uh, around warehouses, <laughs> you know, and they're just great experiences. You know, um, I've ran around to the, uh, in Sydney, right beside the Opera House. There's a beautiful big park around there and, and you're toiling, you know, you're not used to the heat and everyone is so gorgeous and good looking and you're like a beetroot. <laughs> but I, I love that. I, I love the running. Uh, in different places it's, yeah. it's, and it, you could be in the worst town with nothing to see in it but you put five or six miles into your legs and it's just it, something happens you kind of I ran around soccer pitches in Oxford you know in the rain and it's just I love it well, we've got a lot to work with here if you could pick out one highlight maybe you've already maybe it was playing that game of pool against the world champion I don't know what's your sporting highlight well my uh, I have two one, one observed and one where I partook so my observed one is when Cathy Freeman won the 400 metres title at the Sydney Olympics. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. You were in the stadium. I wasn't there. No, but I, was, I observed it on the internet. And <laughs> <laughs> on, on, on the telly. Um, and I thought that was... And what struck me about that was the pressure on her beforehand. Uh, the way she was before the race. Um, what it would have meant uh, to her people. The fact that she, that she then won, and then people can have a look at this after they finish listening, what she did afterwards. And uh, we live in a culture now where people run around with their arms spread and go, aren't I amazing, you know? And maybe they are amazing. Uh, she just sat down on the track and nobody went near her. And she just sat there and she wasn't smiling. Uh, she wasn't upset. It was a strong, a cultural moment as I've ever witnessed and I find something so moving about it. Um, it, it was just so strange, you couldn't... But I let, let people have a look at it and, and, and uh, make up their own minds. But it's a, it was a stunning, stunning moment. And my, I have two, actually, events that I... From your own glittering career? Yeah. yeah. One was when I... Um, there was a game between Troytown Heights and St Mary's Park <laughs> and uh, Tino Perez was marking me. And uh, Tony Quinn uh, was in goal and uh, Jerry Boyle threw the ball to me <laughs> and I only meant to flick it over my head, uh, but I actually flicked it over Tino and Philip. <laughs> uh, I remember that. That was one of the best goals ever. <laughs> Screamer by the sounds of it, yeah. <laughs> and the other one, of course, then was like the dream come true where you just, you know, to, for somebody who grew up watching Phil Neal, Alan Kennedy, Jimmy Case, John Aldridge, uh, John Wark, David Fairclough, to tug out with these people and to be 1-0 down to United uh, in Terryland Park in a, a Legends game. Oh, this is a game I referenced in introducing you, yeah. And yeah. to score the equaliser with my left foot from outside the box. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Unbelievable. Come on. I'm You're done. not left-footed. I mean, I saw the footage. It was yeah, like Stephen Jarrett against Marseille. Do you remember that from about 10 years ago? Kind of spun the ball over the goalkeeper, right-footed, obviously, but yeah. this was like a mirror image. Yeah, what happened, see, I can get very boring and technical about it because I've thought about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my right foot would be my strong foot, and maybe there's a, there might be something in this more than the, what, what I'm saying, but my right foot is my strong foot. So, uh, but it being stronger doesn't mean that it's the better foot. Mm. There's less muscles in my left less muscles in my left foot but it's more flexible 
And because it was more flexible, something kind of strange happened where the loose foot managed to impart some type of strange Phil Mickelson spin <laughs> <laughs> on the ball and where it kind of went up and curled and it went in and I heard the keeper, I heard the United keeper say to me, I couldn't stop it. Do you see the spin on it? <laughs> so uh, brilliant. That's, that's top stuff. Now, before we rank your sporting life, we should mention that you're available for people to go to see you live over the weekend at the Vodafone Comedy Festival at the Vodafone Comedy Festival today, but, Saturday and tomorrow, Sunday yeah but please God also at the hurling uh, between Galway and Clare today. yeah fingers crossed yeah well that's all well fingers crossed it's definitely going ahead the, the match, <laughs> fingers crossed for you that, that, that Galway do the business now Tommy was on the same bill as Ashling B on Thursday night is he about to take Ashling's crown here Murph please get stuck into this sporting life of Tommy Tiernan you don't understand I could have had class don't have stars in this game, Mrs. Weaver. Well, what do you have then? People like me. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. So, Tommy, here it goes. To find out this year's greatest non-sports person, sports person, we will rank your sporting highlight and identify the sports person that we feel most closely resembles your sporting personality and then affix a number between 1 and 100 that we feel is a fair representation of your ability. So your love for Liverpool Football Club is deep and real and despite some ups and downs, it endures to this very day. And as you've so eloquently described, you've lived the dream in that charity fundraiser for Goal United in Terradown Park in 2008. But not just play, because Tommy, I've seen the YouTube clip. There is seven minutes of highlights of the second half of this game on YouTube and I saw excessive. the goal with my own eyes. A thrilling move which saw only one elderly player fall over for no reason, possibly <laughs> due to exhaustion, culminated in a shot which curled in a delightful parabola beyond the despairing dive of the goalkeeper. The final score was 1-1 as well. We need to mention this. This was not a goal fest. This was a tight, tense game dominated for the most part by the midfield probings of Clayton Blackmore from what I could see. But uh, you urged your team a valiant draw and a share of the spoils. So... What sportsman do you most closely resemble? Well, I'm thinking an all-action Liverpool midfielder with a penchant for a goal, steps up when his team needs him most, beloved of the cop, yet prone to the odd slip once in a while. Yeah, you know who I'm thinking of. Of course, it's Norwegian human dynamo, Ivan Leonardson. Brought in by Roy Evans in 1997, fell out of favour with Julian in 98, but still, who will ever forget the impact he had in the red of Liverpool for that short period of time? So, this has been tremendous. You've earned... 76.5 points out of 100 putting you just one and a half points behind our current oh. leader for the series Ashton B Tommy second Turner. place Tommy happy enough with that oh, delighted, this has been delighted. your sporting life thank Tommy. you round of applause please Tommy been excellent thanks so much Love it. That's What Do I Get by the Buzzcocks on Second Captain Saturday. Only in a Tommy Tiernan conversation will you hear about a Navin pool hustler called The Rocker. <laughs> Huge reaction to the pool element of that conversation for whatever reason. Paul Gibney has actually fleshed out that information. The Rocky, the Rocker Mar. What a ah, pool player. So okay. We've got a surname there as well. Yeah, yeah. There is something I think about the Irish teenage experience in the 80s and 90s that has to include pool <laughs> for whatever reason. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't think there are many of us who didn't spend many hours staring vacantly at <laughs> our friends playing pool. <laughs> Maltese Joe Barber, the world champion, 
who Tommy Tiernan once sparred with on the bays, Murph, was of course one of the legendary regional UK pool players in the 80s. He beat Steve C. Sanders in the final London Championships in 85. Ah, uh, who can you're forget it? You're a bit too young for that, but you would have seen many of the, yeah. much of the footage afterwards. Well, we, you go back and watch it on YouTube, Owen, if you're a real pool fan. I obviously first remember Maltese Joe from his memorable, unforgettable, scene-stealing role on Silla Black. It's not even a role. He was just being himself, Silla Black, <laughs> 1988. And of course, he featured in the video game called Maltese, Maltese Joe's Third Pool. 3D Pool. Hold on Much better game than what third was, pool. <laughs> what was the, the Silla Black? I, I don't remember. Wow, Maltese Joe yeah. Barber. Well, I mean, that's all the knowledge I have. If the trail goes cold on Maltese Joe. Okay, fair enough. Except to say that that game appeared on the ZX Spectrum 48K. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I have. That's all my researchers are giving me on this, Murph. <laughs> uh, right, what have I got here? No, but I should say his, his goal for Liverpool is on YouTube. Oh, it's unbelievable. We yeah. There's, we talked about it there. Yeah. There's um, six and a half minutes. I mean, you don't have to watch the whole six and a half minutes. That's all I'm going to say. You can if you like, but you you know you'd want to have not very much in the diary. There's no footage of his amazing strike for Troy Town Heights that is not available. Tommy Tiernan's photographic memory will have to be enough on that one. Some of the texts and tweets coming into us, huge reaction to the conversation we had. Social media, dark and dangerous world, says Eamon Dunphy. And then he goes blogging. Strange from Bob. Well, Bob, firstly, it's called podcasting. And secondly, <laughs> it's not as dark and dangerous as you might think. Is it, guys? We highly recommend it, yeah? No, podcasting is uh, tremendous. You should try it sometime. Tell Tommy I could listen to him all day when he doesn't use the F word. Why does he use it in his shows? He doesn't need it, <laughs> says Miriam. That's how I feel about you, Ken. In, in normal conversation. Yeah. yeah. Your potty mouth, which well, thankfully you don't bring to your public persona. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm slightly insulted on that you say this to me. Well, this is what happens when there's un, 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 unscripted expert, drama, Ken. You can treat us with Tommy. After the, uh, after the show. Don't mind Tiernan. He couldn't pot a pool ball to save his life. Sure, I beat him a thousand times, says someone Dwyer. Wheel brace Dwyer here. Well, not in the round O, though, surely. Not over the 20p format. Once it went to 20p and there was a lot of money at stake, uh, Tommy up his game. Game changed. Tell Tommy I want to go into the garage to have the fry up, but I can't because uh, I can't move. I mean, listening to the show, enjoying the show so much. So interesting. Well done on the TV programme, says Edward in Leitrim. Why is Edward eating a fry up in a garage? <laughs> well, I'm, I presume they're going to put that fry up into some sort of bread type thing. Galway, Murph. Take it from there. Versus yeah. Clare, the All-Ireland semi-final today. Tommy talked about the sheer size of the Galway men. <sighs> a characterisation that Galway folk are weirdly taking umbrage with over the yeah, last few days. We should, uh, we should go back to the original quotes which uh, prompted the firestorm mm-hmm. from former Kilkenny legend Jackie Terrell, now a, a well-known Sunday game Sunday game analyst. He was speaking at a press conference earlier this week. Uh, if Clare are to beat them, they'll have to do something different. They'll have to drag them around the place. That's easy to say, but hard to do. When you watch them standing side by side for Aaron Naveen, it's like looking at a rugby team. <gasps> yeah. But that, it's a compliment. Yeah, I would have thought so. Well, that's not how... He's saying Damien... this is a, an exceptionally well-built bunch of men. Mm-hmm. That's not how Damien Hayes, former goalie player, saw it. Go on. I saw that. I think it's a bit of an insult. Jackie's saying that to get himself onto the media. <laughs> he's had a press conference, though. So whatever. Uh, he's also pretty established yeah. the game funded, but... It's, it's a bit of a negative comment. Show me one of the goalie players that's been out-sprinted in a game. They're very athletic. I think the goalie players are a lot more than rugby players. They're a big team. There aren't too many small guys on it. They're all athletes and can see, see out a 70-minute game no problem. I think that's a little bit cheap. Yeah, now. I saw Richie cheap. Bennis. The, Richie Bennis, the Limerick manager, took a bit of umbrage on behalf of Galway people yeah. today as well. I think the concern is that, I mean, they're all seeing rugby players as like Peter Clossy. Peter Clossy is 
a rugby player in the eyes <laughs> of Galway hurling fuck it sounds like so they don't That's, have the image of Jacob Stockdale no, in their heads here no Brian O'Driscoll no nothing like that Jonathan Sexton 6 foot 2 14 mm. stone no Peter Clossy. That's that's who they're seeing. The Bull Hayes maybe did a bit of hurling himself, of course. The Bull. So maybe that's where this is all. Uh, this is all coming from. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. But it is. Yeah, they they have taken umbrage. There is a documentary that you'd like to bring to people's attention. Oh yes, the the game by Crossing the Line Productions uh, is on RT One Monday, uh, Monday next nine thirty five p.m. And it's uh, kind of a history of hurling, social history of hurling job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, suffice to say. You know, there, there'll be no rugby talked on this show. Mm. Uh, it's basically, I think they did 60 interviews. It's a, it's This is the first part, the uh, show on Monday is the first of three uh, episodes. And it, yeah, takes you through the entire, the first episode, uh, we were uh, privileged enough to see a preview screening of it on. And uh, yeah, it goes into the sort of the, the history of hurling going back thousands of years where it puts... Uh, Put it into the context of world sport. It's really, really good. Absolutely amazingly shot. So you should check it out. So it's the hurling over the weekend. Also, good luck to the Irish women's hockey team. They play England tomorrow at the World Cup in front of a massive crowd in London. England ranked number two in the world. Eight Olympic gold medalists in their team. All their players are full-time professionals. Ireland ranked 16. All their players have to actually work for a living. But that hasn't stopped them destroying all their opponents so far. And now they can put out the... Uh, host nation the on host their own nation, turf yeah. so that'll be pretty good stuff good luck to them if you want to listen to us during the week we've got daily shows on the Second Captain's World Service just go to secondcaptains.com either way we'll see you again next Saturday at 10am thanks to Mark Horgan and Simon Hick for producing the show Killian Down researched Kieran Cullen was on sound Marion Finucane is up next thanks Murph thanks Ken thanks all thanks Ken thanks so much for listening bye bye second captain first captain whatever never got on those stuff guys